You're listening to Rosie on the House. Welcome, Arizona homeowners. I'm going to join us as we go around the side of the yard here. And it is the second Saturday of the month that we're talking trees. And I can see far over in the distance in a hammock underneath his, uh, uh, his, his sweet acacia tree. He's, he's lying up there. Uh, Kim's not letting him out. John's, John's kind of under the weather. So he sent in his backups, the heavy hitters. We have Sarah Maitland, your, his plant, the plant health director. Do I correct. have that correct? Correct. Plant health director. What What does a plant health cor- director do? Well, mostly um, my division is in charge of trying to um, treat trees that are, are hurting, um, make them feel better. We have a, a really good diagnosis program, and we'll come in and do root collar excavations. We can diagnose insect infestations and or disease, and we do a lot of testing for that. And then we, we really like to work with fertilization programs to really in, encourage good environment, good soil, nu- nutrients, and get the trees um, growing healthy and strong. Well, thank you for joining us this Saturday morning. And you're joined by Mr. Rick Kober. Your f- official role is uh, tree wizard. Did, did, tree I, get, wizard, yeah, did yeah. I get the correct <laughs> that, that's, that's what I am. I'm the, I'm the tree wizard. Yeah. Well, thanks, y'all, for being here with us this Saturday. If you have a tree question, it's one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you We'll be talking about our uh, Talking Tree calendars to do for the month of April. We'll talk about our tree of the month, which is an acacia. But before we get to that, we, we kind of got side-reeled by a very fascinating article Rosie found about uh, about trees. And it's called it's called The Whispering of the trees from March's edition of the Smithsonian Magazine. And the article that it's about, or the gentleman in the article has written a book, and our tree wizard, uh, Mr. Rick, has read that book. So let, y'all take us through this a little bit. I haven't gotten completely through the article yet, but it's very I, fascinating. I uh, was just sitting there after my little allergy injection at the doctor's office, grabbed the Smithsonian, and started reading this article on whispering trees. And this man's concept that how much communication goes on between trees, both both odiferously and through the root system and the fungus that grows on the roots that draws the sugar out of the roots and communicates to the trees. I, I was absolutely fascinated. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. One of the introductions uh, in, in the introductory part of the book, and it alludes to that in the article that you read, um, trees actually feed each other in a forest. Their root systems are interconnected, and they'll actually share the sugars that they manufacture in photosynthesis. And if they have a favorite tree in their neighborhood, they will keep that tree alive even after it's been cut down. And when the, the author of the article was uh, wandering through the forest, he saw these, he thought they were boulders. And he scuffed one of the boulders and he realized it was green underneath. And he realized it was from a tree that had been cut down four or 500 years previously. But the neighboring tree's roots had kept that tree alive for four or 500 years. They, in the article, it talks of a mother tree that decides which trees in the community it is going to pr- give preferential treatment to. Correct. 
and, right. it, and, and which ones it allows to grow and reach for the sun. And it, I was just blown away. Yeah, another thing they've discovered is that trees will actually sit and wait for there to be an opening in the light. And so what happens is when a tree falls down, the neighboring trees begin to grow. And it may take hundreds of years for a tree to wait and stay small till the neighboring tree falls down. Dormant, 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 dormant. Now's my chance. Boom, baby. (laughs) So when you're looking at rings in the tree, a lot of times, uh, you know, what I was taught was that you could always tell when there was a drought because they were real close to each other. So there's little growth, little growth, little growth. And then this was a wet season because the rings were wider. But it, it could be that another one fell and there's more light. It could be more than just drought that is the reason the tree's growing or staying dormant. And then and then there's a... a You're m- shaking your head, yes. <laughs> For everyone that can't see you. <laughs> Well, in, the article, in the article in the Smithsonian Magazine, there was a, a section there where they talked about the tree actually knows the difference between whether a deer bites on the leaf, leaf or and whether a breaks person the breaks the branch. Yes. And then its reaction is to different. that based on... Romy, there's a tree that has a problem fighting these uh, maggots. And when the maggots start eating the tree, it starts effusing a chemical that attracts these wasps that then attack the worms, <laughs> plant their seeds inside the worm, the eggs hatch, and eat the worm from the inside out. <laughs> so who can make this stuff up? <laughs> and, then the, so, and then the tree in Africa that communicates to each other when the giraffe started eating on it. A giraffe has to eat upwind because its favorite food is a particular tree that when it starts getting eaten, sends an odor into the air that's detected by the other trees that then start secreting a poison into their limbs and leaves. So that giraffe has to eat upwind because everything downwind is just turned to poison. Because the trees. Now, how does the giraffe know that? Well, I, 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 I imagine they learned the hard way. Well, the uh, I would say the importance of this article and how it relates to our communities and our residential landscapes is that the trees are one part of the landscape. There's shrubs, there's plants, there's a lot of ecosystem going on there, and there's microclimates that are developed within it, and they all kind of live as a group. And so keeping our trees healthy, healthy, we need to keep the environment all around the landscapes healthy. I think this really complicates it. I've heard John field this question many, many times. I have eight, name your species, I have eight trees on my lot, all lined up in a row. They all get fertilized the same. They all get watered the same. They all get treated the same. They listen to the same music. I talk to them all in the same tone of voice, and one just won't live. And this, th- this whole time, the, the, you know, <laughs> all we can say now is, well, that, that tree must be the booger eater, and he's getting bullied <laughs> by the other big trees. Many times there's root issues. Um, a lot of our container-grown trees have circling roots, and if there's one that just doesn't grow, it might be planted too deep. That usually stunts trees. Or, you know, circling roots will, will be 
be um, something that we need to go in and correct, and then they just take off and flourish. Well, I want to talk more about this article, but I don't want to hog the whole tree hour. We've got people lining up on hold. If you want to talk trees, give us a ring at one 767 Do you want to take your first caller? I do, but uh, Rick's got something Yeah, I here. wanted to. We haven't mentioned the name of the book. So the book is <laughs> The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel and How They Communicate. And the author is, uh, I believe he's from Austria. His name is Peter Wolleben. So the, the title of the book is The Hidden Life of Trees. And I saw the article, I thought, well, what kind of wackadoodle is this? The tree whisperer, you know. But you start reading it, you think, wow. The first thing I thought of when I saw that article was there was a... Some strange group in the Carolinas somewhere. Dad's like, gone soft in the like head. Or that, that are tree people, and they go out in there and they cry over trees and plants. And I tried to find a clip to start it, but the audio from YouTube—it's so screechy. I thought, oh, this is just going to be way too painful early Saturday morning to start with. But if you need a sick laugh, just Google hippies crying over trees and. Knock yourself out. Let's get to our callers before we get to our talking tree calendar and our tree of the month because uh, they've lined up and we're here first and foremost for the Arizona homeowners, starting with John in Mesa. Welcome to the program. Hi. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Thank you. I've got a lipo pine, and it's been looking kind of shaky for a while, and I called in last year, and he told me to just keep deep watering it once a month. Well, it's, it's still partly green and uh i had a guy come by he said he was a tree guy and he looked at my tree and he found he showed me there was all kinds of holes in the side he said they were boar beetles uh he determined that it would need like 11 injections and he told me that could be as much as 175 to 200 dollars i said well is there any kind of guarantee no they're not really so i'm wondering from i'm asking you uh, what are the chances after you get these injections that the tree is going to live? Well, you've picked a great Saturday to call in. I think Sarah's probably the most qualified person I know to answer that question. Go ahead. Well, the truth is Rick and I have worked together with John and many other arborists in the Valley trying to de- determine what's going on with our Aleppo pines. And the truth is we, we really think that it's based in environmental conditions to start with, our extreme temperatures in the summer lack of deep waters, we've not had good rains, really put the trees in a position of, of being stressed. And other things seem to come in at that point. We have had lots of different diagnoses, and we sent, send lab samples off and try to determine exactly what's going on with the trees. We have positive um, identification of diplodia in, in a few trees. We've had fusarian. We've had phytophthora. But we're finding now a secondary um, a secondary mites, and also flathead bores. The, the trees become susceptible to both of those things. And flathead bores um, can really just um, shut down a tree very quickly. And so the solution, do we have one? We're still in the development of, of how to handle that. Well, actually, the, uh, the consensus of the leading arborists in Arizona is that, like Sarah said, it is environmentally caused condition there's a uh, a term in forestry called Mannion's spiral of decline and basically it's too hot here it's too dry here we have salinity we have ph those abiotic factors cause stress when you were told by your arborist that you needed to inject the tree um, 
That's a questionable procedure, and there are differing opinions. Many arborists contend that by the time you see holes in the tree, and as Sarah alluded to, perhaps flathead bores, the damage has, has already been done. Now, up in the higher elevations, there's a bark beetle. Um, those are dendrochinus beetles. We have not found those in Maricopa County yet. They have been found in Pima County, and there's an associated uh, fungus disease called a blue stain fungus that's transmitted by that particular species of beetle. So Plant a different tree is what you're saying. Well, the, the, <laughs> the, the protocol, my motto is happy roots makes happy shoots. And like Sarah alluded to earlier, the key is to try and make the tree respond with its own natural immune system to make it happier and healthier. So deep watering helps. The general opinion of most arborists is that the Aleppo pine blight uh, trees that are suffering will reverse their condition, but uh, giving it deep watering and or injecting plant growth regulators or nutrient solutions into the root system is as good or not better of a, of a protocol than injecting the tree with mitocytes. You know, Nate, regular Arizona would think, well, if the tree of the month this time of year has got to be your Palo Verde being in bloom. And when we put together our first ever uh, home maintenance calendar, we had just covered Palo Verde, so we didn't want to do a repeat that quick. So John has picked a different tree for our tree of the month. It's called the Acacia... Acacia Anura. Acacia Anura. <laughs> well, tell me about this this tree of the month. Well, it's a wonderful tree. It's native of um, Australia, and it's really a good tree for our environment because it really tolerates the heat well. It's very slow-growing, and it's very low-water use. So it's a nice tree that you can plant along roadways um, under power lines, and it can sustain for many, many years. Evergreen? Um, it is evergreen. It's more woody in nature, and it has a, a, a two, about a two-inch gray-green phyloid. Um, it's not a true leaf. It's a phyloid. And um, they are evergreen. They bloom usually in the winter, but sometimes intermittently in the summers when they get confused by rains. I would say it's ever gray. Ever, ever gray. gray, yes. <laughs> it is gray-green in color, and it gives a nice contrast to darker greens in, in a landscape design. But it is a zero-scape plant. And so tell me the difference between a, a leaf and a what? A phyloid. A phyloid. <laughs> What's the difference between a leaf and a phyloid? How... Who, who got the job of distinguishing those? <laughs> phyloid is a modified leaf type of structure. So look it up in your Wikipedia to get the precise definition. <laughs> Often in acacias, you'll see a phyloid, and then you'll see a very true leaf, which is very minute at the very tip. In a... And so one more time, it's called acacia anura. Acacia anura. Acacia and it, and anura. the um, common name would be mulga. And how how big will a mulga get? Well, they they usually have a small trunk, and then they're low branching, and they're more of a shrub in the landscape, and usually don't grow more than twenty to twenty five feet at maturity, like but very said, slow growing. Perfect for under power lines or privacy fencing. Yeah, really nice tree, really nice tree, and it will live with our environment going forward in the future, as we talked about with the pines. You know, we have to start looking at planting trees that are going to be able to tolerate our future high temperatures that we're expecting. Yeah, it's uh, it's a shame when you see one of those great 
uh, you know, 40, 50, 60 year old Aleppo pines that, you know, is just like you said, when you've got all the holes, you're past the point of rescue and it's going to have to come down. That's, that's a hard thing to, to replace something that established in your yard. You know, when you do find the flathead boars infested in a tree, you know, it's a last result. But if you want to try to save the tree, sometimes that's the best thing to do. And if you have flathead boars in one tree, you may want to treat other trees to prevent them from taking, you know, falling under attack. No guarantees, but you got nothing to lose at that point to try. Especially when you see galleries that are established, yes. Let's get to Mike, who wants to talk about his peach tree from Apache Junction. Welcome to the program, Mike. Yes, thank you. I have a peach tree, and it just was last summer was its first summer, and it just barely made it through. Uh, Lost a lot of its foliage and just kind of looked like it was starving for water all summer. Uh, I've talked to several people, and I've gotten many different answers about how much water I should be given this thing. And uh, my latest, what I did last summer is that I kept it on the same schedule that I have my fruit trees on, which was during the summer months, uh, water, deep water them uh, every week. And I don't know if I should water this thing more or what I can do to make this thing a little bit happier. Well, you said that... uh... It's a, a one-year-old tree. Did you recently purchase this tree as a bare root tree, or did you purchase it as a five or a fifteen-gallon container? No, it, it's it's uh, came in a twenty-four-inch container, and uh, it was purchased from a local uh, nursery. You know, so it was grown here in Arizona, and you know the the soil in Apache Junction is not the best going, so they bought some soil that the tree was actually grown in and we put it in the hole and uh, you know that type of thing. Mulching the surface of the soil would benefit and making sure that you water out to what we call the drip line if it was purchased as a 24 inch box tree it's probably at least eight or ten feet tall and wide and you need to make sure you water further out to the drip line. Hang tight, Mike. We'll help you more off air. We've got June and Phoenix. Nicole and Phoenix wants to talk about orchid trees and spider mites with an open line at one 767 4348 You know, for that box tree, I've always had this kind of theory that however many years in a box is about how many years in the ground before it fully recovers and transitions back to uh, a growing tree. It's a good rule of thumb. Good rule of thumb. There is unrest in the forest, there is trouble with the trees, for the maples want more sunlight and the oaks ignore their pleas. <laughs> I'm really glad you didn't play those, uh, the crying tree video. I thought I thought you were going to drop that on me when I mentioned it. I thought, oh, I should have said that because Gary's going to play it now. I looked for it. I couldn't find it at the, uh, <laughs> given the time, but I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> We got a texter sent us a link. We were talking earlier about a article about a book, and the book is called The Hidden Life of Trees, How They Feel and Communicate. And this article comes from experiment.com, which basically says what you guys walk through that cycle again you read in the article about worms and birds. and There's a particular tree that's fed on by a particular worm that when the worm breaks through the bark, the tree emits a particular secretion that attracts a particular wasp that plants its eggs inside the 
worm that's boring a hole in in the tree, and then the eggs hatch inside the worm and eat the worm from the inside out. And a wasp is born. And a, and a wasp is born. And they, they, they talk about a, 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 a trickle charge of electricity that's actually being transmitted through the root systems of the trees, talking to each other, telling each other what condition they are in. And they'll one tree will actually quit bringing sugars up its root system and redirect it out to the other tree if the other tree is in stress. Interesting. Yeah. Amazing, uh, huh? You read, the, you read the title of the book and you think, wow, this guy is off his rocker. This <laughs> guy needs a real job. <laughs> but but, but you, you start reading what the trees are doing and it's absolutely fascinating. And we had a texter send this uh, from experiment.com, the title of this article, Birds Eavesdrop on Plant Indirect Defenses to Locate Insect Preys. So the birds are listening to the trees to find out where to go eat insects. Is bit what? It's true. <laughs> it's true. It just goes to show how the environment really is a total system. It's not just the trees or the plants. It's the bugs and it's the birds. And what you're talking about with the wasp is a predatory wasp. And predators are very, very important in treating trees that are sick. You don't want to hurt the predators. There's you know, a lot of products that we can use that are friendly to the predators and don't kill them. And doing systemic things is another way to really kind of protect the predators. Well, uh, have you guys seen um, that video? John had sent it to me. It's like Return to Eve or something like that, or, or the Garden of Eden. Return to Eden. It's a, it's a documentary. It's about an hour long, and I've been trying to find time to watch it. I've, I've got, but it's just this concept of le- leaving it alone. You know, When you walk into the forest, the plants and the leaf drop and they've got this big buildup you'd mentioned mulch on the peach tree uh you know just just leaving it alone to let it run its own course and over a period of time that's essentially a lot better than trying to add supplements or when i was in school we would argue about conventional fertilizing versus organic organic fertilizing and the argument would go back and forth and back and forth and Plants do take up all their nutrients in an ionic molecular form, so the agronomist would say it shouldn't matter whether you're fertilizing with organic fertilizers or conventional fertilizers. But what we've really learned in the last 15 years or so is it's all about the microorganisms that live in the soil. So the healthier the soil is, the more critters there are that live in the soil, the happier the plants are and their root systems are because of the relationships they've developed with the critters that live in the soil. And we're going to talk about adjusting our watering schedules coming up as we hit the drier, hotter months of the Southwest. But before we do that, we're going to get to our callers who are waiting patiently to talk to our tree specialists, Mr. Rick Cobber and Sarah Maitland from Integrity Tree Service. June, welcome to the program. Do we have June with us? Yes. Hello. Hi, yes, ma'am. Hi. I have a orchid tree. Uh, it, I purchased it a, a year ago, and it was a box tree. And this nursery came out, 
and about three guys dug dug the big hole and put it in, and it seemed to do okay for a while. But now, uh, now a year later, after the summer, it seems to be failing. It kept losing its leaves. I have gone to the nursery once to talk to them about it, and um, they said the arborist would come out, but um, so far they haven't, and I've called like three more times, and I told them that the tree was like between life and death. But you know what? After the leaves all dropped just recently, about a week ago, on this tree, which is like a year older, I bought it last year, uh, the little orchids all over the tree popped out. There, and it's so funny looking because there's no, there's no leaves, but there's blossoms. And, of course, with the wind now, the, most of the blossoms have gone. Well, there's a lot of conversation going on here between Rick and Sarah. I think they've got some good information for you, June. Well, what's been difficult, June, is this year we really didn't have a, a much of a winter. And, you know, a lot of trees that are normally deciduous, um, being orchids, sometimes are very deciduous. They'll drop all their older leaves in the winter. Um, they were a bit confused. And so as we came into the spring and they're emerging new growth, the older leaves are dropping. And so really um, they would have lost them over the winter and emerged new growth in the spring. Yeah, we've seen the same thing on, on jacaranda trees, on mesquite trees, on lysoloma trees. And, and those trees typically shed their leaves sometime in November or December after there's a hard frost or a very cold period. This year, like Sarah said, those trees held those leaves until just the last two or three weeks. So the reason your, your orchid tree struggled was it was holding on last year's leaves. That's why when the flowers came out, it, it dropped all of last year's leaves, and, and they do bloom for a short period of time. It should put on new leaves here and uh, and be healthy and, and vigorous this this month. Well, that's good news. That, well, we appreciate the call, June, and uh, good luck nursing that orchid tree back along. We have Nicole next, who wants to talk about spider mites. Nicole, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, yeah, so I have... Um, what I'm thinking are spider mites on two big juniper trees in our front yard. Um, and Google hasn't been much help. <laughs> and so I'm not exactly sure um, what to do. We've um, tried basically just hosing and keeping the leaves wet, but I would say like 75% of the leaves are brown now. Um, and I'm just um, worried if this is actually going to really hurt the tree or should I, if I should just leave it be and, um, let it pass. Well, we do see spider mites on what we would consider evergreen trees like Arizona cypress, Italian cypress, junipers. There are multiple species of mites. There's a two-spotted mite and what we call a red spider mite and perhaps other species as well. And yeah, the best and easiest way to control them is with the forceful spray of water. Um, there are also products like a safer soap product that uh, you could spray onto the tree. Um, the key is to try and encourage the vigor and the vitality of the tree. 
Um, better watering. We're going to talk about watering here in a few minutes. And as we get warmer, if that tree had a happier root system and was more vigorous, it would be able to resist the mites. You know, when infestations get really bad, you, you do need to treat them. But we do find um, we've had really good success with twice annual just foliar applications of fertilizer. And then we do have insecticides, you know, when the infest infestation is really horrible that we can go in and spray that are, are, are friendly to the beneficial mites. There are good mites and bad mites. So just um, encouraging good environment is... The, really the key to any plant having success. As go the roots, so go the shoots. Yes, absolutely. So let's get to our, our watering schedule. We're coming into our, well, <laughs> it's been dry for a long time. <laughs> We're coming into our hot season now, hot and dry. What, uh, how do we adjust our watering properly for best tree health, best well, environments? Well, um, it's going to be difficult this year. A lot of the trees are really hurting from lack of deep waters. And so we haven't had the rains that we usually had in the winter. We didn't have a really great monsoon season last year. So as the heats increase, it's really important to not increase your frequency, but increase your volume. And so you have to look at trees and, and develop an irrigation system that's out at the drip line of the tree that covers the entire root system. And we like to, even with the really large Aleppo pines and big trees, um, water to a depth of three feet. And so you might want to get a probe or a barbecue skewer or something you can poke into the ground to see how deep your water is going. And then once you get that deep water, let the tree dry out in between. So the frequency shouldn't really increase as much as the volume. Yeah, we like to say you're better off to put on let's say, 100 gallons of water every 10th day than you are to put on 10 gallons of water a day. And in the old days here in, in uh, the metropolitan Phoenix area, we had bubblers. In the last 15, 20, 25 years, we've converted many of those bubbler systems to drip systems. And the problem with drip systems is they run for a short duration, and they most of the drip emitters are maybe one or two gallon an hour emitters. There's a wonderful interactive guideline put out by the Arizona Municipal Water Users Association. So if you would search AMWUA, which stands for the Arizona Municipal Water Users Association, they have an interactive guideline that's called Landscape Watering by the Numbers. And it outlines all of the proper uh, amounts of water to put on different types of plants throughout the year. And you can get that at many local nursery and garden centers. It's on their website, uh, Water Use It Wisely. Just look that up, and they've got a downloadable PDF. And they've got a lot of additional resources there aside from watering by the numbers. They have water hogs of the home. They have uh, a great zeroscape resource book if you're looking and trying to design your planting. They've, they've got a lot of good resources for desert Zeroscape. They also have a really great book called Landscape, Landscape Plants of the Arizona Desert, and it really will give you a mature look at trees and how they're going to be in the landscape as they grow. It will tell you if they're evergreen or deciduous. It will tell you how much water they require, when they flower. And it's a nice book if you're looking at planting new trees um, that would give you some guidelines.
Okay, I did find the hippies wailing. I, I just couldn't do it. I know. It's way too much for a Saturday morning. <laughs> so instead, Stevie Wonder did a soundtrack for a documentary, and maybe I've never seen it or never been released, but it was called The Secret Life of Plants. So I have no idea if the film or the documentary is based on what we're talking about. This came out in late uh, 78 or 80. So there you go. We've been talking about The Secret Life of Trees. It's a book written by someone else can pronounce his name. Hang on. Go ahead. Peter Wollobin. Wollobin. Okay. And you can get that probably anywhere you can buy books. It's sold over 800,000 copies in, uh, I can't remember where I read it in the article. Just in, I mean, it, it's become very popular in a short period of time, and it talks about how trees communicate and uh, all the interconnecting to, we've been talking about uh, roots communicating to each other and sharing sugars with this tree to support that tree and uh, the, the defenses it has when giraffes eat it and release a toxin. And, uh, creosotes do that. You know, they release a poison around them to keep other plants from growing. Yeah. I'm, I'm never going to walk through the forest the same way i'm a i'm gonna be listening a little <laughs> bit harder I, I may even bring my amp meter <laughs> <laughs> like you perceive those, if you see somebody with walking in the forest with a, testing the t- amperage for, yeah with and a foam hat tinfoil hat yeah tinfoil he'll, hat. Have tinfoil, he'll have his tinfoil he'll have his tinfoil take off your headphones and listen <laughs> listen listen to the trees Oh, uh, we've got a number of texts we're going to shoot through real quick here. We have Breen Apache, Apache Junction, magnolia tree in the front yard, and gophers have torn up all around it. It doesn't seem to be hurting the tree, but they want to know, will it eventually? Is that good thing, bad thing? You, we talk about gardening, and you like to put worms in the garden. Is this a beneficial thing for aerating and roots and watering, or is this a bad thing? And well- I tell people gophers are very easy to control. You just need several rattlesnakes in your yard, and <laughs> you, you will not have gophers if you if you bring in the rattlesnakes. So, uh, Bonides Molmax is also a great way to repel. So, uh, I think what I'm hearing is get the gophers out of there. And uh, from Apache Junction, you've got Treeland Nurseries off of Arizona Avenue, and uh, apply a little bit of Molmax. Uh, next one from a 602 area code, we have... Uh, ask the tree wizard, is it a good idea to have two inches of mulch around trees to keep them cool in the summer using grass, leaves, and organic materials? Mulch is fantastic around trees, but we need to be careful about the area that goes right up to the trunk flare. You do not want to have mulch or soil in contact with the part of the tree as it enters into the ground. And we've discovered uh, a tree disease, several tree diseases that will cause uh, severe problems one is called phytophthora can, can my lawn clippings from the lawnmower be a part of that mulch program it's better if they're composted first lawn oh. lawn clippings are not the best mulch they're a little wet and they're a little green but if they're composted i tell people making good compost is like making good soup the more ingredients and the longer time you let the soup work together it's same with compost more ingredients longer time cooking it and you can buy a good composted mulch at a lot of nursery centers like like Treeland, 
And um, what we find is that the mulch, it, it holds the soil temperature and holds the moisture. So you don't have the extreme variations. And then the last question, as we wrap up here in the last two minutes, this uh, person wants to know, do landscapers have to be licensed? I see a lot of landscaper trucks and no ROC numbers. And we'll cover that a little bit more in the 9 o'clock hour, but that brings up a topic we want to talk about when you're looking for tree help and professional, what it means to find an ISA certified arborist and the qualifications that it really takes to be a tree wizard. Yes, the International Society of Arboriculture is an organization that accredits arborists, and they have to take continuing education units. So, yes, uh, you can look up the ISA website. You can find certified arborists. Our our, uh, guest here, Sarah, has just been uh, put on the board of the International Society of Arboriculture Western Chapter, and so she is now going to be uh, one of the the tree wizard gurus in the Western chapter, which includes Arizona, Nevada, California, and Hawaii. Well, congratulations. That's uh, you don't get placed there lightly. Well, thank you. I, I thank you very much. And really, our goal is to continue education and to bring a lot more education to Arizona is my goal. Um, we are really strong on education at Integrity Tree, and we have several of our tree workers now that have already taken their certified arborist tests and we're awaiting their scores and so we try to constantly teach and constantly keep up with the new science and everything that we've learned and y'all are both with integrity tree service if somebody's looking for a certified arborist to consult with or get a second opinion or have a plant health care diagnosis itreeservice.com yes and y'all know the phone number? You probably never call your own office, do you? 602-788-0005. All right, Sarah Maitland and Rick Kober, thank y'all for being our Talking Trees expert this Saturday. I'm sure John will be recovered by next month. The Kim will get him nursed back to health, and we'll have him in the second Saturday of every month. We talk trees here in the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House. Coming up next, I'm going to put on my aluminum foil antenna helmet. <laughs> And be prepared to answer any question you might have about your house, home, castle, or cabin in the open hour, 9 o'clock, coming up next.